I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Alright guys, we got an Oppenheimer review for you today. It's going to be a very special podcast with one of my good friends from work, Aaron Tumanero. Great guy. Uh, he's super smart. And our philosophy, we have very similar outlooks on life, very similar ways in which we think about reality, morality. And the thing is, we have two very fundamentally different beliefs. He's Christian and I am agnostic, but yet we find a lot of common ground. And the thing is, there's something missing in our society where people are unable to talk to each other in such a way where they can find common ground. Instead, they want to stick in their little bubbles and in a sense, they isolate themselves. And by isolating themselves within these groups, being in these tribal identities, like in being a Democrat only and only talking about only talking to Democrats, being a Republican only, only talking to Republicans, being a Christian only, only talking to Christians, being an atheist only and only talking to atheists, you create a certain amount of hate and segmentation towards other groups. Because when you think that you're right, when you think that you're absolutely right, then everyone else becomes wrong, right? It's what Nietzsche said. The good man bleeds the whole world to be evil, right? Because if you believe yourself to be fundamentally good with no faults, then you will then believe that the whole rest of the world is evil, right? Well, anyways, we have a very exciting podcast for you today. We're going to be talking about the philosophy of the apocalypse. Uh, Aaron comes with his knowledge of the biblical apocalypse, aka Revelation. And I come with my knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita. And, of course, just my own studying about, uh, say, prophecy prophecy and other other things like that, right? So, I did want to mention as a precursor to this episode, and, of course, this is the very first intro pre-podcast to the podcast. I love it when people do that. Uh, Duncan Trussell does it on Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and... Chris Ryan does it on Tangentially Speaking, and I love it when they do that. So thought I'd give you guys one just as a little treat. But anyhow, little housekeeping items. My fiction novel, The Man Who Killed God, is now in a local bookstore at the Coeur bookstore, The Well-Read Moose. So if you live in Coeur go to The Well-Read Moose. Go pick up a copy if you're interested. It's about a boy who has to go through a labyrinth to slay the gods and save everything he ever loved. And the biggest question there is, is your life worth more than your will to live? And if you want to just pick up a copy online, you can order one at into-the-absurd.com. Scroll down a little bit and click on that Amazon button. All right. Well, without any further ado, first off, before you click play on the rest of this episode, Go watch Oppenheimer. Amazing movie. I loved it. Probably one of my most favorite Christopher Nolan movies outside of Batman Begins because I'm a huge Batman fan. So, anyhow, go watch the movie. Check out the podcast. Go to into com and buy a book if you want to. 
if you want to support the podcast, and if you want to have a read that may be interesting. Anyhow, take it easy and enjoy. Five seconds to submergence. Submergence deep into the absurd. All right, guys. I'm not sure if you'll be able to hear this or not, but we're going to see. I'll read it just in case. We knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line in the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on this multi-armed form and says now I am become death the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. And this was J. Robert Oppenheimer's speech following the detonation a few months after the detonation of the very first atomic bomb. So I've got Aaron on here with us today again. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And as y'all might have guessed, we're doing a review on Jay, well, on the movie Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. And we're also going to get into the philosophy of apocalypses, um, fear-mongering, the, the philosophy of war, the philosophy of creation and destruction, etc., etc., along with, uh, I'll read from my copy of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a different translation than the one that Oppenheimer read in that quote and it's a little interesting because there's a few word changes which we'll get into um, from the two translations um, but anyhow I, I'm just going to go ahead and read this real quick Aaron Okay, just to get that out of the way go for it Okay, so this is chapter 11 of the Bhagavad Gita and for those of you that don't know, the Bhagavad Gita is a sacred Hindu text. And it's actually, uh, from what I've heard from this uh, person who studied Hindu philosophy, uh, they said that the Bhagavad Gita is actually one long epic poem. So, and it's actually a part of a series of different Hindu texts. So this actually isn't the only one that's sacred. So it's kind of similar to say how the Bible has an Old Testament, New Testament. Um, Hindu has like seven testaments or whatever. I, don't know. I could be wrong with, with how I'm saying that, but so anyhow, and then this is broken up into different uh, people saying different things. So in this one, it's, it's Krishna. So and this is lines 32 and 33. Krishna, 
I am all-powerful time, which destroys all things, and I have come here to slay these men. Even if thou dost not fight, all the warriors facing thee shall die. Arise, therefore, win thy glory, conquer thine enemies, and enjoy thy kingdom. Through the fate of their karma, I have doomed them to die. Be thou, be thou merely the means of my work. So essentially, it, uh, in my view here, Krishna is saying that his time, which destroys all things, right? Time dooms all things to die. And since he is time, although they could win all the glory of the battle, they could uh, defeat their enemies and win the war. At the end of the day, Krishna will have beaten them no matter what, because Krishna is time and due time, these men are already slain. So, uh, anyhow, Aaron, what's up, man? <laughs> Nothing much, dude. How much? What's up with you? <laughs> Just living the dream. And, uh, gotcha. yeah, that Oppenheimer movie is probably definitely my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Of course, I love the Batman series, I loved Inception. I haven't seen Tenet. Which ones have you seen? Uh, let's see. Um, I've seen Inception, Batman movies, Tenet, Interstellar, um, and then obviously Oppenheimer as well. I, I mean, I think they're they're all great. I think some of them rely a lot more on the or a lot more on kind of the idea than it does on the person. This one was really interesting because it's almost just like a biopic, right? Yeah. So it was really interesting to see him do that rather than just uh, tackle like a really complex idea. Like, I don't know what was tenant about like uh, time or something, right? Something like that. I forget what it, it was back in time. Yeah. Anyway. So it was really interesting to see something way more grounded. He did. I thought he did an amazing job with it. Yeah. And I know you were telling me that shall they, Oh, spoiler alert. By the way. <laughs> i mean obviously like no shit i mean but... if you if you haven't seen it yet you've probably you know just seen the barbie movie like 10 times so <laughs> it's time to change it up a little bit yeah um but i thought it was interesting how they did that whole fission fusion thing like fission was and then you told me that the the fission is Oppenheimer's perspective and the fusion was Strauss's perspective. Is that what you told me? Or was that someone else? I think that might've been someone else. Um, yeah. I don't remember having that like realization. Oh, I know. I remember I was telling you as far as Strauss versus Oppenheimer's perspective, it was the, uh, it was the grayscale versus color. That I remember that's what I was talking about. Oh Yeah. Yeah, okay. but that that's interesting. What, do you remember anything more about the uh, fission versus fusion? No, that's it. I was kind of confused at first. <laughs> fission and fusion. Okay, well, we aren't. I mean, we haven't discovered nuclear fusion yet. So, yeah. Uh, well, I I remember watching the movie, and they would shift between gray and uh, gray and color, and I was trying to figure out why. And originally I thought that it had something to do with like Oppenheimer's present, like from his perspective and then either past or future was in black and white. Um, but yeah, I think it has more to do with the perspective of the different characters. Like whenever it was in black and white, it was, it was kind of Strauss's story. 
and downfall. And then whenever it was in color, it was, uh, you know, Oppenheimer's story. I was watching this YouTube video about how Nolan kind of captures the perspective of his characters very well. Mm -hmm. And how like he'll zoom up on people's faces during certain scenes. Uh, and especially I like the there's a scene when he's about to go give a speech, right? Oppenheimer? Yeah, like right after the detonation of the bomb. And then we hear like the the um all all the people stomping their feet. Yeah. We hear that super loud. And we heard that from bef before that happened. We were hearing that several times, mm -hmm. and we didn't we weren't really sure what that was. But then finally, that was revealed as to what it was. And then he was giving this speech, um, with like a straight face, sounding like, "Yeah, we did it. We beat the Nazis or whatever." But yeah, uh, you could see how Nolan like had it in such a way where he was saying those things, but you could see his perspective was totally different than being excited and thrilled about it. Yeah. He was horrified at what he did. Yeah. I think that really goes to like Killian Murphy's acting as well as like you were saying, like the way Nolan set it up with like, I, I went and saw it in um, what's it called? Max for, for Max. Or, I don't forget what it's called. IMAX. Uh, IMAX. Yeah. I went and saw it in IMAX and like in that scene, whenever he's giving the speech, you can like feel the reverberation of yep. um, yeah. like the bomb going off again. So I think they did, I think they did that really well instead of having him kind of go down this psychological spiral of realizing the part he played in killing, I don't know, a hundred thousand people, whatever the, I forget what the total is. Um, you know, they showed that with the cinematography of like the shaking screen and how like the, the screaming of the people goes from like happiness to like fear and panic. And he starts like seeing people burned. And I think they, they just did a really good job with showing like his psychological yeah. state rather than just, I don't know, him crying about it and telling you what's happening in his head. He, he like really showed it like this really yeah. showed it. Well, and I love the beginning of the movie when it kept, uh, almost flashing inside of Oppenheimer's mind where you'd see uh, him almost looking at molecules, basically and yeah, seeing this yeah, whole yeah. other universe kind of, yeah, that was cool. And, and then the part where he's saying something like, uh, he's saying how he started becoming distracted with the visions of a whole other universe that, that yeah. we couldn't see or whatever. Yeah. The way that he was, he, uh, he wasn't able to get through his school and, everything because he couldn't sleep at night because all he was thinking about was uh what turned out to be you know the bomb that was like the culmination of his lifetime of ideas um but yeah that was that was really cool the way they did it. like whenever he closed his eyes and and they kind of like showed this picture of like this expanded universe and stuff it was it was cool it was the really cool it just gets loud and then it's just yeah like, <laughs> yeah it is crazy yeah, it's good <laughs> No, it was great. I I I loved it. I I don't think it was my you know like favorite Nolan movie, but it was one of the coolest. It was uh, it was it was really great. I'm kind of partial to Batman Begins. Uh, I yeah. just love Batman, but yeah, that's just me. Interstellar's always will always be my favorite all time favorite movie. Okay, I always forget that's one of his movies. Yeah, which which I can get behind that one. It is just kind of. It's honestly not that confusing. The the most confusing one of his movies that I've seen was definitely Inception. Oh, that's hard to follow. 
It really is. But once you kind of start learning about lucid dreaming and shit, mm-hmm. it beca- it becomes super easy to understand. Yeah. It's like I was surprised. <clears throat> yeah. No, that that's a uh, that's a really good movie. That's kind of you know, it's one of those movies where you walk away from the theater with your friends and you're like, oh my God, was the top still spinning or did it wobble a little bit? Is he in a dream? Is he not in a dream? It's that's yeah. so good. No, no, I just uh, I just watched this movie called um what was it? Uh Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal. Have you seen it? I haven't. What's that one about? It's a uh... Well, it stars Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, and mm-hmm. his daughters get abducted, or his daughter gets abducted, and his friend's daughter gets abducted, and then it's like this mystery or whatever. But, okay. I mean, I like I'll recommend any Jake Gyllenhaal movie because usually really good mystery. Uh huh. I don't know, but yeah, like I, Taken. <laughs> yeah, it's like Taken, but not action packed, and the acting is good. Oh, okay, so it's much more it's much more mystery based, less okay. Yes. Yes, it's Less not like, like oh, I have a particular daughter, set of skills. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm gonna kill ten thousand people to get to you, and then there's gonna be five more movies of me doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was gotcha. this one movie. There's like the maze. It's, it has that guy who plays the Riddler in uh, the Batman. Oh, he was so good. I don't, I don't remember his name, but he was so good. Yeah, it was genuinely terrifying. Yeah, he he was. Um, so I wanted to say, I know we talked about it over text. The last little bit, uh, like the last scene from Oppenheimer, when we hear what he says to Einstein. Yeah. Where, uh, well, essentially, just to give context, uh, they were afraid when they were theorizing about the nuclear bomb, they were afraid that there was a chance like a 0.0001% chance or whatever that detonating the detonating the bomb would cause a chain reaction that would basically ignite the atmosphere and blow up the planet so he was talking to einstein about it and einstein was like yeah that might happen whatever basically <laughs> And then, but then he, wasn't later so, on, he wasn't so blase about it but yeah he was more like this isn't my problem you've got scientists <laughs> yeah yeah basically and then at the end of the movie uh well there was a scene where he's talking to oppenheimer and we don't hear what was said so it's kind of a mystery throughout the movie and then at the end of the movie we hear what uh oppenheimer says to einstein and what he says is remember how we were afraid that this would cause a chain reaction that would eventually destroy the world. I think it did. And that landed like so hard with me because um, basically, I mean, just to explain the obvious, uh, he's saying that by creating the nuclear bomb, it would create an arms race, which would inevitably lead to nuclear Armageddon, which would kill everyone and destroy the world. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I forget if they say it in the movie, right? But it, it, he um, he says something along the lines. I think it's whenever they're talking about trying to beat the Germans to making the bomb. Yeah. And he says, or someone says something about, you know, kind of like we've already started. We can't stop 
like kind of it's already in motion. Um, so I, I, I kind of agree with what he says as far as, you know, we're on this, uh, we're kind of on this path that is going to lead to the end of the world. I mean, whether or not it happens or not, um, that's a completely different story. But as far as starting the journey, that is, um, you know, I, I think that we definitely started something very terrifying whenever we invented nuclear weapons. But I think it also brings, it kind of makes you think, um, kind of should it have been done in the first place, right? Like if you could, you know, do revisionist history, would you have him make the bomb? That's a good question. You know, because if well, you think about it, uh, have you ever read, have you ever read the rising, uh, killing the rising sun? No. Okay. It's a pretty solid book. Um, it's basically just about defeating Japan um, after Germany had fallen. Uh, and they essentially talk about how the Japanese people were so devout to their leaders um, that literally every man, woman, or child would have died before giving up. So, and I don't know how true this is. Um, I, I would say it's probably fairly true or at least partially true that essentially they determined that uh, they less people would die by setting off the nukes than um, invading and having to kill everybody. So it, it kind of brings up this kind of, yeah, it kind of brings up this like moral quandary of, yeah, sure, we started the nuclear age. Maybe we'll kill ourselves with it, uh, but maybe not, you know, <laughs> like maybe it could be turned into something beautiful with like nuclear energy and potentially saving more lives yeah. than it hurt or, you know. No, I agree. There's the there's the aspect of nuclear energy, um, which I I, I personally think it's the most it's the most efficient, least polluting energy, least mm -hmm. harmful to the environment. Yeah, at least as far um, as carbon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like toxic, there's waste, but you can contain that waste like yeah, pretty easily. And the the it's actually a lot safer statistically speaking than any other energy source. Yeah. Um, but um, other than that, uh, we were like at the time. Uh, we were worried that Germany would discover the nuclear bomb first before us. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, either we do it like, what was the line in the movie? He said something like, sure, I don't trust the US with the nuclear bomb, but I definitely don't trust Germany or. Yeah, I think it's something. Lines. I think it, I think he said, um, I think someone asked him, like, do you know what we could do with this? And he said, I know what Germany would do with this. Something like that. Or, I know, oh, he might have said, like, I know what the Nazis would do with this. Because, you know, he's obviously uh, a Jew. So he had, like, a very yeah. real connection to what would happen if the Germans beat, um, as far as, like, literally annihilating uh, yeah. anyone who wasn't Aryan. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of a really difficult issue. But it's like, once you start that like once you start walking down that path and say as a you like once the world starts walking down that path there there is yeah. no going back like oppenheimer at no point once the ball was rolling could have been like all right stop like no people like it's already gotten out people know about it other people yeah. are working on it yeah so it was yeah. uh it was such a good movie it really like it really just made <laughs> you like think about it you know mm-hmm no, and I think everyone, well, I, I think people aren't really too afraid of nuclear bombs right now. And you can kind of see that people aren't afraid of it because they're so like pro, um, at, like escalating the 
Ukrainian war, Ukrainian war, which is so so strange. I, I haven't honestly. I don't know enough about the Ukrainian war to like speak eloquently on it. Um, but I do know that Russia has the most um, uh, nukes out of any other country. So it is it is very strange to me that more people aren't concerned about, especially considering how, I don't know, like emotionally immature Vladimir Putin seems. Because like it seems, it's, it, at least from what I can tell, it seems like he's the type of person who would do anything to protect his legacy, really. Um, which seems to be wanting to like reunite uh, what was once the Soviet Union. So I don't understand what more, why more people aren't scared of him essentially being a child and setting off nukes. Cause that, that kind of worries me a little bit. <laughs> he, he doesn't seem like the most stable person. I'd say it's just, it's propaganda basically. Yeah, probably. Uh, I did want to say, like touch on something that we spoke about a few months ago where I was saying how I don't like that the U S is a world police and that we should stay out of world affairs. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and then you countered my argument and you said, well, if we're not doing it, then it's going to be either China or Russia. And it kind of brings back that same, uh, thinking pattern as far as the nuclear bomb goes with Germany having nuclear bomb or us. And I would have to agree that I'd rather the U.S. be the world, the superpower than China or Russia, and also rather us have the nuclear bomb than Germany, at least if I were in, if I went back in time and it was in 1940. Yeah, I, I would say um, I, I don't, I mean, I remember having that conversation. I don't remember my, what my exact words are, Yeah, but it's not specifically about the U.S. or China or Russia having uh, or being a superpower. It's about yeah. the ideas of the West versus the ideas of communism, you know, socialism, like that type of thing. I would prefer yeah. the global hegemony be headed by the West rather than anything else. Um, yeah. I would say the West is morally superior to every other culture. Um, and for that reason, I would prefer either the U.S. or Great Britain or I don't know, France yeah. or even freaking Canada to have that power over you know russia where vladimir putin has had elections for like the past 20 years but somehow he gets elected every time or same thing with yeah. um, xi jinping in china like i, I don't I, I don't trust you i don't trust your yeah. country i don't trust any of this and the idea yeah, well, of them coming to like being in the global uh power is net negative yeah and i also think it, it's less of like a cultural thing it's more of just our government allows us to be i guess just more moral and we treat our citizens better than people in those countries do um yeah. i think they're i would, they're I would call that culture they're... though yeah but it's also like government you know what i mean like our i'd say culture and government are two different things yeah sure i'm not talking about i'm of course not talking about like i'm not talking about the people Right? Yeah. I'm talking about the moral underlying structure of, of what they believe, you know, like I'm sure society. the Chinese, the Chinese or Russian people are fine. I know a few Russian people, they're, they're perfectly fine. It's, it's just the society as a whole and how it looks at, um, or rather the government of that society and how it looks at its population and the world population. Yeah, no. And I agree. I think uh, these like other governments are very dominating 
Um, I mean, obviously, our government's dominating, too, but maybe less so towards us as citizens of the country, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, look at look at China, for instance, there is um, there is they've been I don't remember what group of Muslims it is, but they've basically been like enslaving this particular group of Muslims yeah. for like years now. Um, and I mean, imagine if that was happening in the U S right. But yeah. people just, it was ignored. I don't want that type of government. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that, yeah. like in my mind, that's, you know, that's like giving 1940s Germans power over the world. No, the, the Chinese government is definitely oppressing their people. Yeah. Um, same with, <laughs> uh, same with the North Korean government. And I guess, oh. uh, I just saw this headline of a YouTube video. I didn't watch the video, but it said something like it, it was a real life lore video. And it was how North, how it's basically impossible to escape North Korea now or something, something along those lines. I'll have to watch it. But yeah, yeah, they're basically just totally in like a super cult. Yeah. You know what the worst part is, too? Um, because of where North Korea lies. If you are able to escape, you kind of have to go through China, and there's a yeah. sex uh, trafficking ring that will um, pick up specifically, obviously, women and girls who come who swim to China, and then sell them into sex slavery. And then if they can get through, get out of that, there's a huge. Um, I don't know how to describe. Uh, there's a significant amount of racism towards. Uh, North Korean. So even if you can get out of sex slavery, you're still in a country where people hate you, you know, <laughs> and then, yeah. and then from there, you got to get out of China and then fly somewhere else. <laughs> like what a life that's, that's absolutely horrendous. How is that not on like the top of the UN's list of just like blow up, you know, <laughs> North Korea, get those people out of there. I don't know. I don't know. That's for just... another conversation. Well, I mean, it can be in the start. Well, like my thing with that is that it just might lead to a chain reaction that won't end up well. Yeah, no, I didn't mean literally blow up <laughs> North Korea. No, I didn't mean like I know what you meant. I just meant like going to war with North Korea. Yeah, like you know, China back them, and then we've got this whole World War Three scenario. Yeah, yeah, Russia, Russia would back China. Like, yeah, and it's like just layers of fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> bad idea. Bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it does kind of suck how we get ourselves in those kinds of situations. And even like, but it's also, I mean, on an interpersonal level, sometimes you can be afraid to talk to someone because you're worried that it might lead to some chain reaction of events that'll lead you to be just like fucked over i don't know yeah sure i um i mean thankfully though since neither one of us are world leaders the chain reactions are pretty (laughs) contained (laughs) to just our lives yeah no but i I know there's this i went to a jordan peterson talk a couple months back and his whole talk was about yeah it was really good his whole talk was about um uh, basically just telling the truth and why you should always strive yeah. to tell the truth. And that's kind of what I thought about right? whenever he was saying that is just, if you yeah. always tell the truth or at least don't lie, 
then you will keep yourself out of situations like that where you could cause a chain reaction. Yeah. You know? So that's, uh, yeah. Well, it's like, don't take shortcuts, right? Because eventually you get to a point where um, you have a, what was I going to say? We're just piles on top of each other. What? Don't take shortcuts because it just piles on top of each other, right? So like, yeah, I don't know. Say you're say you're in college and you cheat on your know, your homework, and then you cheat on a quiz, and then you cheat on a test, and then you get to you know your final exam and you never actually learned anything. Like you're just building on top of yeah. each other because you never actually took the first step to put in the work. Yeah, or you just you know if you're building something, you miss one part, and then you get to the end and you're like, fuck, I needed to put mm. that one part there. Otherwise, yeah. I see why I needed that part there now. Yeah, yeah. I have to. Have I have to, to add water to cement, or else it's just <laughs> sand. So, <laughs> yeah, like, but, but, yeah, you know that you you can't take shortcuts, and I've definitely learned in my life that um, if you if you're not fully honest with, especially if you're in a romantic relationship with someone, or like any of your interpersonal relationships, but especially your romantic relationships, if you're not honest. Um, about things for one it can lead to resentment where mm-hmm. you're resenting them all the time and for two it can lead to the point where they actually don't know who the real you is so they don't have the free will or the free choice to say break up with you if they want to um so if you're constantly yeah. not really showing your true self to them uh you're one repressing yourself and you're not going to be happy repressing yourself and your desires and you're also just, you know, not really being fair to them because they don't know who you are. Yeah. I mean, just kind of touching on the um, the not knowing yourself. Whenever you lie, it's almost like you have two different versions of who you are. You have the, the real version. Yeah. And then you have, it's almost like that stupid meme of like you have two wolves inside of you, whichever one you feed yeah. that one. It's like, it's kind of like that of just, you have the liar essentially and then you have the real version of yourself and if you don't know how to support the real version of yourself then you're going to put yourself in situations where other people aren't going to know who you actually are because because you you couldn't even tell them if they asked you right so i mean that that's that's a tricky situation that you have to uh, be um active in avoiding it doesn't that doesn't just happen actually because it's it's our it's our natural instinct to lie right we want to protect ourselves we want to protect our Mm -hmm. ego uh, you know, whatever we built. So we, we naturally want to lie and whatever we do that each time we degrade a part of our real self in support of building up our fake self. Yeah. And since our actions kind of create our reality, if you're constantly lying, then you're creating a false reality for yourself. So then you live in this like false fictional world, which sucks when you really want to go to the world that, that that's more like you that's mm-hmm. it's dear to you but if you're living in this like if you're like acting like oh i'm playing the boyfriend role right now then your world will slowly become the world that you're acting as right yeah uh like say oh yeah like i like that show and then you'll have to keep watching that show over and over and over again mm-hmm. with your significant other whatever even though you hate that show yeah at some point at some point you just gotta be like i'm gonna go do my own thing (laughs) you watch it all you want you know 
not into it. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of whenever I was a kid, my mom was really particular. Even now, actually, she still calls me out on it. Really particular about the words we, uh, we used to use. I think I might've told you this about the words we use. Sure. So like, so like um, she wouldn't let us say stuff like, you know, I'm an idiot or I don't know, like even, even yeah, you told me. stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and that kind of goes back to what you're saying about like you create your own world. Like even whenever you're talking to yourself, you have to be honest and not horrible to yourself because as you, as you speak to yourself and as you talk to yourself, you're creating who you are in your own head. Right. So if, if you yep. keep saying to yourself, I'm an idiot, then you're creating a version of yourself. That's an idiot. And you live up or down to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it's at, at, we have so much like pe- people try and complain and there's some validity to it, to the stuff that they say. Um, people try and complain that they have very little, little control over their lives. It's kind of like determinism. Um, but there's also so much you can do. There is so much you can do regardless of your circumstances to control your own life. And I mean, that's just be honest. Don't be a liar. Be kind to yourself. Those are such simple things that take the smallest amount of work. Uh, yeah. I don't remember where that came from. I don't know what we were talking about. <laughs> I'm not sure. I just get, well, yeah, I mean, we create our reality from our thoughts, basically, or our thoughts, mm. our thoughts affect how we view our reality and the way we view our reality affects how we interact with our reality, which yeah. you know, just creates a uh, snowball effect. Yeah. And I think um, I did want to say which this might act as a good segue to talk about revelations, but um, our beliefs, um, I, at least in my opinion, are almost, a, I think we may have talked about this on the last podcast, but they're a very integral part of our personality and the way that we see the world and the way that we interact with the world. And they're kind of... Uh, they're just as crucial to our identity and even more crucial to our identity than say the color of our hair, or the shape of our nose. And we sort of also, at least in my opinion, you inherit your beliefs from your parents and then you slowly transform those over time. Like there's a certain like uh substructure. There's certain, yeah. There's a structure you inherit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? As far as, uh, as far as your beliefs go, how has that shaped your identity as a human being? Oh, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously you you can't separate these two things. I'll say this though, my, like in my specific, um, my specific life, my parents, I feel like looking back on it, did a very purposeful job of one, making us go to church and making sure that Christianity was a big part of our lives, but also kind of encouraging us to question and, yeah, and speak to them and stuff. Um, they took a very, I don't know, kind of like an open-ended debate. Anytime we brought up stuff, I remember like, you know, sitting around the kitchen uh, uh, table with my dad for, for hours, just talking about the simplest things, whether or not, you know, Adam and Eve were real or just a story, like stuff like that. Um, or like why X, Y, and Z was a sin, but something else isn't technically a sin, like those types of things. So we sat around a lot just talking about those things and working through those. But regardless, it was always still through the lens of Christianity. It was never, you know, well, the Quran says this, where the Bhagavad Gita says this, you know, it was, it was always the Bible says this. 
Um, yeah. Which as a kid, I think was helpful because it kind of cemented my beliefs. Um, but mm -hmm. like, they, like I said, they encouraged me to kind of go out and figure out my own thing as well. So I would, I would agree with you wholeheartedly that, that regardless of what the structure is, whether it's kind of a little bit more formless, like yours seems to be from the conversations we've had to like much yeah. more structured, like mine was, um, you definitely inherit a structure, uh, and then, and then from there, it's, it's your job. It's not actually not even job. It's your duty to kind of go and become a full fledged person in learning what you want to believe or what you should believe. Yeah. Um, and, and so many people are so lazy with that and it's, it's a detriment to themselves and society as a whole. Like if more people were, were able to speak deeply on what they believe, uh, we'd be in a much better place because then people would be willing to, or rather able to back up their beliefs with logic and, you know, what, whatever they needed to do that rather than just, you know, well, my mom said this, or I heard somebody say this, I watched a YouTube video that says this, you know, like that type of thing. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you that, that there's this underlying structure that you kind of can't escape unless you really try to, um, for myself, I don't really want to escape it. I, I find that I align with it pretty well, even after doing it, a decent amount of research into it and criticizing it fairly well, I would say. So, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, we should uh, start a philosophical discourse bar. <laughs> a what? <laughs> a philosophical discourse bar. So you go to it to have philosophical discourse with people. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of people would be wearing like top hats, or not top hats, uh, fedoras though. And I want to keep those people out. The um actually fedora <laughs> wearing guys. Sorry, you bring a fedora, we're gonna throw it in the fire. Yeah, no, you gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So did your parents believe the same things like as each other when they met, sort of? Um have similar So beliefs? my mom my mom was yeah, they're both Christian. My mom was Baptist, uh my dad was technically yeah. Catholic, although neither one of them really went to church much. Um, at least my understanding is neither one of them really went to church much unless their, you know, like grandparents were forcing them to go. And yeah. then whenever they got married, they decided that they wanted to join a non-denominational church because they didn't want to have a, uh, a split denomination household. Yeah. So they made the conscious choice that they wouldn't do um, a Catholic or Baptist and would become non-denominational. And then they raised us, raised us that way. So they they made conscious choices along the way to um, to agree with each other on things. I'm sure I'm sure they had to iron out stuff. I don't know exact scenarios of things that they disagreed on, but I'm sure they did. Yeah. Well, I often wonder that, say, when you when your parents believe different things versus when your parents believe the same things, if that sort of affects you, like, because I'm wondering, because I'm always like, man. I don't know what to believe. I, I look into lots of stuff and I just don't believe in anything. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just, I'm kind of just curious, but I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that I was raised in a household that didn't have a set, set beliefs, right? Sure. I got taught morals, right? But there was never any set beliefs in my house, right? Um, whereas in, in your experience, you had a more, a very more structured uh, set of beliefs, yeah, if I went to saying. Sunday school. Yeah, I went to Sunday school, went to church. Yeah. You know, I was like in the youth band at one point. So, <laughs> so yeah, 
I mean, and like even past that, honestly, I don't, and I hope my pastor doesn't see this, but I don't feel like I ever learned much from church. I learned basically everything from sitting around, like I was saying, sitting around the table talking to my parents. Yeah. And you know, I no, you have to learn things through conversations. Things. Yeah, you do. And and like, you know, in my experience, it's kind of like, kind of like at work. It's like if someone just dumps a bunch of information on me, it means nothing to me. I have to be in the situation, mm-hmm. and then from there, yeah. I can bring it up and we can talk about it. Um, yeah, I don't know, but it also as far as the moral structure, it kind of goes farther than your specific family, right? Like. Yeah, we're raised in a society where there's a certain there's a specific moral structure set of yeah. moral structure, right? And I mean that moral structure, even though you specifically aren't Christian, is a Judeo Christian uh, structure. So like, yeah. even though you're not Christian, you you think like a Christian in a lot of ways, as far as uh, yeah. what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's no way to escape that unless you, unless you actively are attempting to escape it. Yeah, I mean, there's not really any reason to escape. I don't think but, so. I mean, sure, you can. I mean, well, also, that moral structure is basically worldwide. Like, most people believe uh, worldwide that you shouldn't kill people, shouldn't steal, shouldn't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might have different a different lifestyle, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have different morals. Right. And sure, yeah, morals can I, vary from people mm-hmm. to people, but that also doesn't mean that, uh, you know, for the most part, it's uni- it's there are universal moral principles that we all share as a human race. But and this kind of goes back to that government thing that you were talking about. Um, and obviously, there's cultures where they throw rocks at women, mm-hmm. the gay people, <laughs> <For> like. <laughs> Yeah, or gay people or whatever. Um, but I also think that's a product of them kind of being caught in uh like kind of just still caught up in the middle ages basically and just having not advanced to the point yeah. where I mean we could, you know, we, we definitely could get into that. I, I, I would say though That'd be a tough conversation. Was, yeah, I was gonna say that's It'd a, take long a long time. Take a long I will time. I will say though that it's hard to like from our perspective in you know 2023 it's hard to yeah. say um kind of what the moral structure was you know 2000 years ago before christianity started to spread across the globe um yeah. it's like it's it's really difficult to separate those things especially since you know 1940 whenever you know or no 1960 something whenever the us became like the last superpower um and we started spreading our ideas and our morals across the world like it's kind of hard to separate it's like oh well you know people in indonesia might think the same thing it's like yeah okay well did they they 200 years ago or are we just so globalized now that now everybody kind of thinks the same way yeah uh yeah i mean i I really don't know i don't know enough about it yeah i mean i have to be a really good historian to know that stuff but um... (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like i well i also like i'm like our hardcore romanticized uh pre-civilization era when we were hunter gatherers so i mean that's just where yeah you do you said it you said it a lot i think you texted me the other day and said wouldn't life be easier if we were still hunting gatherers or something in my head i was like no not at all i like i like my tv in a car but i knew what you meant so 
It's well, it, it'd be simpler. Mm-hmm. It might not be. Yeah. It might not be uh, as convenient, but the social structure would be simpler. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to divert this to um, the the re- I, I had you like do some thinking today about apocalypses because with this Oppenheimer movie, it kind of brings up the idea of nuclear Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And at least I kind of wanted to give my two cents on it before I kind of let you like dive into revelations, if you don't mind. I mean, I'll do my best. I'm not a theologian, but That's I'll okay. do my best. <laughs> uh, so I kind of just wanted to say a, a lot of times when I think of these, uh, say that the Bhagavad Gita or revelations or any of these, uh, kind of prophecies of apocalypse i think of them more as a reflection of historical patterns where we go into a famine we go into pestilence we have war we have a death right we have all these four things and it's a continuous cycle where we have economic growth economic downpour war etc etc um and i think with uh with a nuclear armageddon i don't think if there was a nuclear armageddon it might wipe out most of us but i think in the end we might we'll we'll still survive and then we'll just go back to being human again basically okay yeah and but there'll come another time where we have another apocalypse and it's just a repeating cycle until eventually there's an apocalypse that totally wipes us out Right. it's the Fermi it's the Fermi paradox right the um the yeah. great filter yeah but I, I wanted to ask you one when did you learn about revelations oh too early in my opinion <laughs> there was this or weird... what, what is revelations actually okay so revelation before you dive into uh, that yeah so revelation is a book written by John I don't know if it's, you know, uh, John the Baptist or some other John. Um, I, I believe all we know is that it was written by John. Um, and Revelation, well, so Revelation is connected to uh, the Greek word, which is where we get the uh, word apocalypse. And Revelation literally means um, like knowledge from a deity, from a holy being. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that is what revelation is so it's john had a vision of essentially um the the end of the world if you yeah i guess you'd call it that like the end of the world but it's not really about just people dying it's more so about um the believers ascending to heaven and kind of the the new kingdom of god so that's that's kind of the short of what revelation is i mean there's there's a lot more stuff you know there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse um like you were just talking about yeah um there's the beast that will rise from the sea it's it's a lot (laughs) no but like as far as when did i I learn from about it it, i was i was really young there was this weird part there's this weird weird like time in the church i think it started in the 70s but I distinctly remember whenever I was a kid, it was very much so fire and brimstone, um, you know, repent, you know, the kingdom of God is near. You're all going to burn if you don't like that type of like that type of stuff. Um, 
so I remember that. And I distinctly remember my sister being like really scared of it. Um, and then finally, for some reason around like, you know, 2006, probably people kind of stopped doing that as much, which I think is good. It was, uh, it was very weird, but yeah, I learned about it very young. Like how has that affected your psyche? Do you think? Honestly, I, I don't think it has. I think like, uh, like I remember my sister not that long ago telling me that um, she distinctly remembers being scared of that. I don't remember really having those things. I'm more so maybe it's because I'm a boy, you know, like boys like war yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, I distinctly like remembering reading it and be like, oh, that's cool. It's like, you know, six headed beast is going to rise out of the water or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But it, well, yeah. Uh, the way my friend described it, he was like, yeah, Revelation is very heavy metal, bro. It really is. Like, it's yeah. very heavy. It's like, it's like these, you know, uh, I don't even know what you just like angels of death riding on horses across the world. Um, yeah. There's like the mark of the beast. It's very heavy metal. It's like this guy had like an acid trip and then wrote it down. Um, no, but it's, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, essentially it's, it's the remaking of the kingdom of God on earth. And, the, yeah. and that, that kind of process. So, well, it's, it's, inter well, I didn't learn about uh, revelations growing up, but I was deathly afraid of 2012. I was like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> I wonder if that's going to be a real fucking thing. I'm like, and then December, 2012 passed. And I'm like, okay. December 30th. We're chilling. Yeah, man, that We're was, uh, I remember that. You remember they came out with that movie 2012 too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. man, that was a pretty good movie. Um, no, but 2012 was a wild one. There was, there was just like this cult. I don't even actually, I don't even know if you'd call it a cult, but people got obsessed with the Mayan calendar. And then they, yeah. <laughs> they just, they saw that they kind of stopped counting essentially in 2012. And they were kind of like, damn, that's it. <laughs> There's no more time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how stupid you had to have been, but um, yeah, I, I remember being in like, I guess what, what was 2012? Uh, seventh, seventh grade, eighth grade. I remember being in eighth grade being like, dang, you know, good year didn't yeah. get to grow up but it's a good year uh, have you ever heard of trough's prophecy i haven't it's well it, it's basically revelations without jesus okay. um but it, it's from a it, it's an egyptian myth or egyptian prophecy or whatever about how like trough which is some god or deity or king or something he's saying how People will lose their faith in God. They'll become mindless little drones, uh, totally hedonistic, and will stop looking at the stars, will stop looking at nature and beauty and all these things. And then the gods will basically descend from the heavens and bring down floods and famine and all these things and wipe the slate clean. And then bring, and then people will be restored in nature and more grounded and be kind of back in that uh kingdom of god we'll say yeah no that that's that's very interesting in uh in revelation there's this idea that um uh you know there, there will be the rapture and the people yeah. who are you know call it whatever you want like holy or who are saved they will ascend to heaven and they will essentially just spend time in heaven while the apocalypse is happening on earth with the people who were left behind 
Yeah. And then once the earth is essentially remade, heaven on earth will be put. Uh, so it, it actually, it's very similar to uh, what you're yeah. just saying, which is and interesting. Guess, how do you, how do you think that happened for as many different cultures having a similar idea of the end or even why do people think that there will be an end? Uh, well, it, in my opinion, it's because there's always an end, mm. I guess. And, you know, we're uh, being afraid of death. We're likewise going to be afraid of death of everything. And I think I, uh, in a sense, there's a coming apocalypse to us all at, at the end of life, right? Our our life becomes an apocalypse at the end mm. uh, for just because we're, we're all going to die. And with that said, bring that, expanding that fear to everyone as a culture, we're going to be afraid of dying. And also we kind of, um, human civilization goes through these ebbs and flows, just like I was saying earlier with like, you know, recession and all these things where we civilize all civilizations collapse and humanity as a whole will also collapse eventually. It's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Um, and at least from, from my perspective with how I, um, romanticize hunter gatherer tribes i kind of think of it in a way like after there's an apocalypse or whatever we're just going to go back to hunting and gathering and then boom we're restored to god basically interesting because yeah that, that's well, interesting. okay well when you're in a mindset where the only things that matter are your family and food it's pretty easy to just you know be kind of at one with nature i guess mm -hmm. in a sense yeah well i mean as, as far as you know in the Bible, right? It starts off with um, Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. And the reason they leave the garden is because they essentially get the knowledge of God. They eat of the tree of um, good and evil. And then we have human history. And then at the end of human history, the people um, who believe in God are going to ascend. And then everybody else is, you know, either going to wipe, be wiped out or, or they'll, um, I think it's possible for them to, I don't remember anyways and then kind of the garden of eden will be created again on earth so that's kind of it's kind of an interesting um cycle how that happens yeah yeah no and then it well then that's the that kind of goes back to the fermi paradox where if we are back in the garden then we're probably not inventing ufos to travel like billions of years like billions <laughs> of light years out right right just yeah. chilling no, the farming paradox is terrifying. I I don't know which theory it is, but I I like to just believe that we're ahead of the, um, we're kind of at the front of the pack. So there is life out there, but it none of it is ready to uh, explore the universe yet. That's what I like. So to you think the, that the idea we're of, the most? What? Go ahead. I was just gonna say the idea that everything else died is terrifying to me. So I'd rather just yeah. believe that every that everything else is just younger than us. I don't know if that holds up to scrutiny, but that's what I want to believe. Well, I want to believe that there's a bunch of intelligent life, and we're just so dumb that they're just not. They like, we're like a. Us. Well, either that, or we're some kind of national park to them, like a nature <laughs> reserve. Yeah. Yeah. That that's also scary. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I guess I would prefer that over just all life in the universe being dead except for Earth. Ugh, that's 
Uh, did you ever watch that Eric Weinstein podcast with Joe Rogan? The most recent uh, one. When was the most recent one? I'm not sure. Uh, it was I've, I've about definitely five seen months him. ago. I don't think so. I've definitely seen him on the Joe Rogan podcast, but. Well, he one. was saying this thing, how there's this island off the coast of India and there's this uncontacted tribe there that, that no one contacts, no one lands on it. They just totally leave them alone. But this island is owned by India. And India doesn't go there, but they you know, make sure that people don't go there, right? And the thing is, the people on this island have absolutely no idea that there's even a thing called India that owns the island. Right. And when they see planes and shit, it's all just crazy, crazy shit for them, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I kind of think as far as the Earth being a giant national park, that's kind of my set is that we could also be these people that have no idea that there's a thing called Xandar or whatever that owns our planet, basically. Yeah, that, that's kind of the, uh, that's the plot of uh, Jupiter ascending a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that one's a little, I guess it's technically possible, right? Like all of these, all these paradoxes and stuff, you kind of, you kind of just have to go off a of belief. That's why there's like, you know, 700 different resolutions to the Fermi paradox. Because there's no real answer. Um, I, I don't like the idea that we're just some type of human zoo. <laughs> but I suppose <laughs> it's just as possible as us being the oldest thing in the universe. It it would suck to be in it. Well, honestly, I kind of like the idea because then it kind of like, oh, cool. There's some aliens watching over us, basically. At yeah, least, I, at least I hope just, they are. I'll just keep God watching over me. <laughs> the aliens. <laughs> I I did want to ask you as far as we're we're talking about op- like apocalypses and how say after the apocalypse you go back to the garden right mm-hmm. and it uh, how do you relate that to your own personal psyche as far as say something terrible happens and then you kind of go back to uh, things being good again. So you're saying, how do I, how do I relate the idea of uh, the idea of revelation to my own life? Like you ever find yourself in a personal apocalypse? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to think about that for a second. Um, I've, I've found myself in some very difficult situations. Um, I'll say, I'll say for me, I don't have to feel as if I've died and been reborn again. Um, I do feel like I have to work through it and come back to myself so that mm-hmm. I guess that kind of is in of a way, because there, there are times as well where, where the, you know, self-apocalypse, the apocalypse of your own life is caused by yourself. So sometimes mm-hmm. you have yep. to kill off um your old self to become a better version of you right i I would relate this to things like i've always been a big proponent of cutting off friends uh not friends not real true friends but cutting people out of your life who are who aren't good for you that other people might call friends Mm -hmm. um 
and that kind of is a revision that you can take in creating a better version of yourself but it's also in a way it's kind of like killing a version of yourself um it's kind of you know kind of going back to the two versions the truth and the liar yeah sometimes in order to get your life back on track you have to kill the liar in a very literal way um of you know whether whether in that scenario it's you know telling your girlfriend you did x y and z or you know telling your professor that you cheated on this test and you don't deserve an a like whatever it is and sometimes you have to take very very real steps to um being reborn in a sense and i don't necessarily like using that word because in christianity that that means something specific but you you know what i mean yeah Um, i know what you mean yeah so i'm i don't think in recent history i've had to do anything that extreme i've always been fairly decent at um being like introspective and monitoring myself as i go along and you know i'm not perfect i'm not like god or anything but i i I feel like i do a pretty decent job that i don't have wait you're not god no you didn't know that Shit. dude i'm sorry i didn't realize you wanted jesus christ on your podcast Dang. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel like because i've done that i've never had to take an extreme like apocalypse yeah. of my own life yeah no it's definitely well you said something about cutting people out of your life and i've been in situations where i've had to do that too yeah. and the, the the people you're around really kind of determine how you are too and if you're if you decide you know i'm not that person anymore i can't spend time with this person anymore Mm -hmm. it's it's also but 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 sometimes you also have to decide well you know how far should i go before i decide to break this off like how far should i try to reconcile before ending things right as far as as far as reconciling a friendship yeah I think you have to, I think you have to, again, be introspective, determine whether a friendship be is honest. worth it or not, and be honest about it. Like, you're, like at that point, you're talking about your life, right? If you're, if you're around friends, and the only thing you do, again, I'm not going to use the word friends. If you're around people that you're spending time with, and the only thing you do with those people is, you know, get high or get drunk, like that, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and like, yeah. even the conversations whenever you're high and drunk aren't good, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if that is your relationship to these people, there's no point, get them out because all you, because now all you're doing, it's like, I forget who said it. It's like, you're the culmination of the five people you spend the most time with. Yep. So you need to be really damn careful about who you're spending time with, who you're talking to, who's, who you're letting influence. Um, because it's, I mean, it's your life, right? You only get one of yeah. them. Don't, don't, don't waste it. Just getting drunk every weekend. Yeah. Um, and if you have to cut, if you have to cut out the the drunk people in your life, cut them out. And if you still care for them after the fact, right? Get sober or do whatever you need to do. Maybe maybe you're not actually an addict, but get cleaned up, get a new group of people. And if you still care about them and you want to go help them out, go help them out. But do it yeah. do it whenever you're in a healthy headspace. Don't do it whenever you're also still under the water. Yeah, because well, I mean, I found myself in a in a hole mm-hmm. uh, before, and you know, like w- with a friend of mine and like i got out of that hole mm-hmm. but you know i wasn't gonna try to let him pull me back down good right good so there's there, there's times where you just like if you try to help someone out of a hole they'll just pull you back in basically and yeah you know. it's you know 
if you, I mean, I guess you're lifeguards. This isn't good. You were lifeguards. This isn't a good example. But if you don't, if you're not a lifeguard and you try to help a drowning person, all that's going to happen is you're going to get pulled down with them. You know, like if you're not a, if yeah. you're not a strong, if you're not a strong swimmer, you're just going to get pulled down and then you're both drowning. Yeah. yeah. So Dude, that brings up Avatar The Last Airbender for, for wow. some reason. <laughs> because, because, okay, so <laughs> you've seen it, right? Okay. Uh, many times. One of my favorite okay. shows. So last episode, um, in order to take away the Fire Lord's bending, he has to have such a strong willpower within himself that is completely immovable in order to do so. Yeah. Right. And he can basically totally take away someone's power by being so, um, I guess so ingrained within your own moral structure or whatever that yeah. nothing can break it. Yeah. I, they said, I think they said, uh, in order to bend someone else's energy, your energy has to be unbendable, which is, yeah. I mean, like that's, that's some like good philosophy right there, you know, like in order to, in order to affect someone, someone else's life, preferably in a positive way, you have to, you have to know who you are. You have to know what you believe, why you believe it. And also what effect you can have on someone else. Because because anyone can have a positive or negative effect. You just have to you just have to understand yourself well enough to be able to do that. Well Yeah. That's a good show though. Damn. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> That's a, a show. that show was made for middle schoolers. <laughs> it's so much better re rewatching it. Yes. Oh my god. I also think show. Pixar movies are a lot better when you rewatch it as an adult because you can kind of pick up on all the philosophies embedded in them. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the recent one those have kind of gone down the drain, but um, I don't know. I haven't seen like I don't past know couple of, past couple of ones I've seen. They're just kind of eh, whatever. Well, I think the philosophies in them are good though, and like I really love Inside Out. Soul was yes. okay, but I love the philosophy in Soul. Philosophy. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I, I I would say Inside Out is a little bit better than Soul, but yeah, yeah. I agree. And then Elemental was just an amazing romance. <laughs> so yeah, good. Maddie really liked that one, huh? Well, I really liked it too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love Avatar: The Last Airbender, so the whole Element thing yeah. got to me. I'll have to go watch it. All right, man. Well, I think we'll just leave it off there. Okay, sounds good, dude. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, this is Aaron Tuminero. Yeah, say your last name right. Tuminero. Tuminero. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last time I said Tuminaro. <laughs> Everyone correct. does. It's fine. Not correct. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>